to be and that is completely free thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash dlc pod they bring the show to you generously making sure the show continues to be and in exchange they get some cool stuff including ad free episodes video versions of the show on demand and a bonus program we call paid dlc it features the wonderful Lana Bashinsky alongside us talking about whatever happens to be going on during the week. It's a very free form conversation. We love it. The patrons love it. So check it out over at patreon.com slash DLC pod. But DLC, of course, the show all about games and there are many forms games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis, the guy who's winding up summer, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Rookie of the Year, I should just say. Rookie of the Year is a movie that is forever seared in my head. It is a movie with the guy, baseball player, little kid, he breaks his arm, then he has this incredible fastball and of course he makes it to the major leagues because there's of it. nothing so anytime, that says a dog can't play baseball uh, uh, uh mean, wrong one that's the wrong one wrong wrong wrong, wrong one but same right. same theme and okay. there's a moment where this kid's arm is super tight and he's at the doctor and he's like you hear like go back and then he hits the doctor in the face and the doctor gets a bloody nose and he goes funky butt loving and the kids go did he just say funky butt loving anyway all that to say what wind winding up Dog Days of Summer I makes me think of baseball. It's A to B. A to C makes me think of Rookie of the Year. <laughs> A to D is then Funky Butt Loving is uh, now in your head, dear listener, just like it is mine. Well, I regret asking. <laughs> you did it. You actually didn't ask. You just That's said true. winding up summer. Yeah. I did. regret, I don't know, <laughs> meeting you however many years ago. <laughs> if you had a time machine and could yeah. change one thing. One thing. I now know what it would be. and It's now become clear. Hey, we're going to talk about video games. We're not going to talk about whatever that was. Uh, we, got, uh, we got lots of gaming news, gaming games, gaming games to talk about. Oh, man, some great games. This is the year that just won't stop. It's, it's unbelievable. Uh, the quality level, the, the, the median quality level of games just seems to be incredible in 2022. I can't even handle it. And yet everything is getting delayed. I don't, I don't even understand it. But we got a lot to get to. And we have, ladies and gentlemen, an awesome guest to do it with. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, I am excited because DLC stands for de- Developing lifelike characters because we have principal animator at riot games skylar sura is joining us for the first time welcome to the show skylar hello it's awesome to be here i'm excited to talk about games yeah we're excited to talk to you the first thing i want to talk to you about is what 
do you do? I, I am so fascinated by this. It, you are uh, an animator on the research and development side at Riot. So you prototype animation in games that are just being just in the prototype stage, right? Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, I mean, I've been working in games for about, I guess, a little over 11 years, but the vast majority of that I've spent, as you said, building, you know, prototypes for future games. So this, a lot of the stuff that I work on, nobody ever sees. <laughs> I mean, I've been working on games at, at Riot in R&D for six or seven years, and nothing I made has shipped to players in that time. Wow. Uh, and, you know, when people think of game animation, they often think of what you see at the end in these like huge AAA games of very realistic characters like running around. A lot of the stuff that I'm doing is animating little capsules around that are representational of what the player is going to do in the future, but is just done really fast. So, you know, I spent almost two years animating this little floor joint character that looked kind of like uh well, I mean, honestly, it looked like a chess piece, like an actual pawn. It was like a little rectangle with a head on top. And it just had like four joints and it was moved around, you know, and that was like our character in the game for almost two years, right? So uh, it's kind of a weird space to work in and a little bit of game, you know, the game world that most players don't really end up ever seeing, uh, except I guess in like kind of making of videos. Uh, but the other stuff I do is that's, you know, kind of half my job is actually making animations. And the other half is um, I'm kind of a technical specialized animator. So I do a lot of the actual back end for animation in games. So, I, you know, the state machines that run your characters in games that say, oh, when you run, do this, blend these 30 animations together to make it look all smooth in the end. I do a lot of the, uh, you know, that side of things as well. Um, so on new projects, I'll be one of the first people on the project and I'll often do like all the animation and all the animation setup and all the initial state machines for projects so that they don't need to hire like an animator and an engineer and a tech artist and all these other people. I'm kind of like a jack of all trades, I guess, wow. master, master of none. So. Can, can we can we hold on that, uh, <laughs> that back end part a little bit? Because I think when people think of animation, at least for me, I don't want to project, I guess, but for me, and I'm assuming other people too, you think of animation, I think people still have that image of like the Disney, you know, onion paper or whatever, like, like hand drawing it, the flip book motif of things. And in games and 3D animation, and or I guess computer based animation, the stuff you're describing still very much part of animation, but isn't that, you know, stick person moving through a corner end of a flip book. And I'm wondering if you could you know, generally kind of elaborate a little bit for the layperson, i.e. me, listening to kind of how those things come together to make, you know, something moving on screen. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, it's most most akin. I think a lot of people are probably more familiar with stop motion animation. I mean, you've seen things like Paranorman and the stuff that Leica Studio does and, it does, and they do lots of um, cool making of videos where you see like the metal armatures that are inside their puppets and they're kind of moving them. 3D animation actually is more akin to that than uh, than it is to 2D animation. We essentially make uh, digital 3D puppets. Um, so replace, you know, that puppet 
with a piece of like 3D geometry. And then we still actually have an armature inside of them. We, I mean, we just call it the skeleton. It doesn't actually like look like a skeleton. There's not like rib cages and stuff. You know, <laughs> they're uh, just a virtual representation of, your, of where your, all your joints and stuff are. And then, you know, we open up those scenes as an animator and we've got a puppet in, in T-pose with all these hundreds of little controls all over it. Uh, and, you know, just like you've seen in, you know, the stop motion videos, it's grab this joint, bend the arm, grab this joint, bend the hand, grab all these little joints on the finger, go like that, right? And then thankfully, the big difference in in uh, in animation, the, you know, with the, the 3D animation packages is that they have splining. So you don't have to do every single frame, you know, the game can, or I mean, the, the, the program can interpolate between your frames a bit. So you do take advantage of the power of computers uh, with, with 3D animation. And then I'd say the last piece of it that I think is different than any of the animation that probably most people are kind of familiar with in games is that what you actually end up seeing in a game at the end of the day is actually, you know, a blend of many different animations, you know, mm. in a very, in a very simple game, like, uh, I mean, I actually say like League of Legends, when I worked on it before, used to be a very simple game uh, in that, you know, when you were running, you're playing a run animation. And when you stop, you play a stop animation. When you're idling, you're playing an idle animation, you're usually just playing one thing at a time. But you look at a game like, I don't know, the the last of us or something like that and they're they're blending at any given moment you might be seeing like 15 different animations all blended together to kind of get that realistic look you know the character might be idling but then they'll be playing like a little extra animation on the face that is doing like all the little look at and they might even have a separate animation on the eyes that's doing the special thing too like and then all these animations are kind of layered together you know, using a like backend state machine that's basically saying, if this, do that, if this, do that, do these things, blend this, blend this all together, right? Comes together to, you know, make that, that, that what you see in the game. It looks very simple. The, 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 the cool thing about animation yeah. <laughs> and games is that if we did our job right, the the person playing the game knows none of that, right? Like, and they don't need yeah. to know it. At the end of the day, if it should just look smooth and they and it shouldn't feel broken, and they don't know that we're over here like sweating trying to figure out <laughs> how all these like fifty different animations at any given time are kind of blending together to make the frame that gets printed on the screen. You know, so uh, the wild thing to me, hearing you talk about your job, is that again, a lay person who knows next to nothing about the nitty gritty of all this stuff, it feels to me like that's all been figured out, right? I, I, I look at a video game and I'm like, oh, well, you know, it, one game's animation system and another game's animation system is basically the same, right? But it sounds like you're literally prototyping each game individually. You have to come up with new solutions every time. Is that right? Uh, to a point. I mean, you're, you're. it's funny because a lot of stuff has been figured out, but there's also not a huge amount of sharing. So, you know, like Ubisoft <laughs> has their, you know, thing that they do to make their games look like they they are, but they're not showing me what their state machines look like and how they generate that. So I have to look at the end result and try to kind of, if, if someone on my team's like, oh, we want it to look like, kind of like whatever running and leaning is in Assassin's Creed. Well, I got to go look at Assassin's Creed and then be like, okay, well, it looks like maybe they're playing like a run animation and then doing like procedural lean and then playing some kind of additive fidget. You know, like wow. I have to, I have to look at the end thing and kind of back engineer yeah. knowing how the tools work, what that looks like. 
Now within uh, within individual companies, definitely there's a lot of that uh, a lot of that sharing. I mean, like I think Ubisoft is a great example of that, where they for years have you know kind of reused engine elements, and you know I think like that Phoenix Immortal Rising game was an interesting example of taking basically all the work that they did on a, an Assassin's Creed game. And then reinterpreting it with a very new art style, but I, I imagine like the animation backend is probably almost identical, right? Yeah. So within companies, you can do a lot of that sharing, but there's not just you know everything's proprietary. Everybody wants to keep their little <laughs> things special to themselves, and you know that's one of your advantages as a company. So yeah. we're all out here trying to like figure it out from scratch every time. It's like reinventing the wheel over and over and over again. You know, I just want my guy to lean. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. That's a lot like this show. Uh, we've yeah. been using the same chat animation for years, and Jeff and I just layer <laughs> in new games on top of it, but it's just, you know. I mean, Christian, it's worse than that. We've been just saying the same three things over <laughs> yeah. and over for I mean, they years. keep remastering them. I keep talking about them. You know what I mean? <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to those three things that we say, because uh, uh, we got a lot, a lot of cool stuff to talk about. So let's start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. That's also where you can send comments or questions, your own reviews if you like, your parting gifts. We love hearing from you at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We also have a couple of communities that I would suggest you check out. Cool folks hanging out, talking about games and all sorts of other stuff. We got a Discord at 5x5DLC on Discord, and also a subreddit, which is 5x5DLC.reddit.com. Really cool places to hang out. But Skylar, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Well, the, the ones that were here, I, I was pretty interested in this Lego Brick Tales game that was announced this week. I'm What you, what you can't see is that in my old office... Before I moved, I had hundreds of Lego sets and they're all packed in boxes right now because I just moved. But uh, I've been a huge Lego fan ever since I was a kid. I, I dreamed of Lego video games. I played, uh, gosh, what was that game? It was Lego Island. I don't know whether you ever played that game. It was like one oh. of the first Lego games where you like really? delivered no. pizzas and stuff. It, you know, it was from, I don't know, it must have been like the mid 90s. Uh, anyways, what I always wanted and what i feel like they haven't ever capitalized on is a lego game that actually you know represented building lego actually yes it, like it's which is so weird because it's like the literal the toy is a building toy but right. usually usually the building in the games is simplified in some way where the characters either kind of do it automatically or there's like big pieces that you're kind of picking up and they just automatically clip together this game looks so interesting because it looks like they're really doubling down on the build the things one brick at a time and on top of that it kind of reminds me a lot of I don't know whether you ever played that game Besieged, which was like a physics-based um, like castle sieging game where you built these like crazy fidget siege yes. engines. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, they had like flying, you could build flying machines. You know, it was a disaster. Everything you made was a kind of a folly and you were just trying to get it to be right, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in the, in the trailer for this game, they had, it really feels like it captured some of that, uh, 
uh, engineered chaos that I right. really liked out of that game. So I'm actually uh, uh, surprisingly stoked about this game. I hope that it pays off on the uh, the the promise of at least what they what they showed in the trailers. So yeah, I, I had the exact same reaction you did about this game. This is Lego Brick Tales, and I had I had the exact same thought. It's like you know I've played countless Lego games. Some good, some less than good. Almost all of them, you don't do the fundamentally cool thing about Lego, which is be creative, right? I, I love a Lego Marvel. I love a Lego Star Wars. But in all those games, you run up as your little Lego minifig and you find a pile of Legos or you knock something apart in creates a pile of Legos. And then you hold a button and it goes clip, 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 clip and it builds the thing. And it's like that fundamentally isn't the joy of Lego. Like I, I, it's cool that this new thing was built out of these component parts, but the creativity is what I go to Lego for. I'm telling you three minutes before I started recording tonight, I was playing Lego with my son. Cause he was like, daddy, we play Lego with me. We were playing, we were sitting on the floor and what did we do? We were just building whatever happened to strike our fancy in that moment. We were just putting stuff together, finding a, a form that was aesthetically pleasing to us in that moment, just making whatever. And I love that there's finally a video game version that, yes, is going to have, it looks to have a story, a, you know, a, a campaign, um, these different little diorama island-like worlds that all have different, uh, you know, uh, visual styles and stuff. and the way you solve puzzles is you have a, a, a number of bricks pieces and you can put them together however you want. And some things will be successful and some things will be less than successful. It's like, that's, that's amazing. And I love, like you were talking about Skylar, the uh, there's in the, in the trailer, it shows like this, you know, you put the propeller on the wrong side and it, you know, flies all wonky and weird and doesn't work great. And you didn't solve the puzzle. So you got to go back to the drawing board. It's just, Awesome. I hope that this takes off. I hope that this is the new style of Lego games because that's what I want. I want a big, uh, uh, you know, a, a challenge that I have to solve with my creativity. Yeah. And, and one other thing that stood out to me is, you know, as an animator, I really appreciated the mo the movement of the characters that it was kind of like in the Lego movie. Because that's one thing that while I have liked many of the Lego games over the years, they always kind of break the, uh, you know, break the rules of how real Legos can move, which I think they did such a great job of in the Lego movie where they kept the characters kind of having that stiff, yeah. uh, stiff, very jarring kind of movement. Yeah. And I, it was fun to see that in a game setting because they haven't, I mean, I don't think they've done that before in anything other than the movies. So I, I hope that that's representative of where they may creatively take Lego games in the future. It's pretty neat. Yeah, I love it. Uh, Christian, uh, what did you think of uh, Bricktails? This is being developed. Uh, Clockstone is the is the studio. They did the Bridge Constructor, which I never played, but I heard was really good. Uh, but I think yeah. it had a, a similar kind of um, improvisational style where you could like make whatever kind of bridge you can make. Is it going to work? Yeah. Is it not going to work? Here are these parameters. Here are the tools you have. You yeah. know, good luck, have fun. I think we right. might talked about this a smidge. I think it was part of a summer game thing. I think it was one of those things. I think that now they've announced consoles and a release window, which is like, okay, uh, <laughs> let's see if that release window holds up. Um, but it's Q4, super exciting. Q4 this year, supposedly. So we'll see. Uh huh. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. Um, that's far <laughs> enough out. Um, but it does. It looks. It has that builder's journey look, which originally was an iOS game. Yeah, that's um, a great went, Lego game too. An, but an it, Apple arcade game, I think it was. Yeah. All, yeah, really great, beautiful, and on PC, ray traced, absolutely beautiful. I do love how this brings in the creativity of building. And what kind of still blows my mind, and I was googling it to get the name right, Lego Worlds came mm. out. In 2017, I don't know if that's when it came out, came out, or if it was kind of an alpha, but it was kind of Lego, the Lego take on Minecraft. It was this open world sandboxy buildy game. Wasn't that try- it was trying to be their version of Roblox, right? I think Basically. a little bit of both. Uh, yeah. I think it's like an open world sandbox where you could do some building and, and stuff like that, but it never clicked. <laughs> Boom, mm-hmm. did it. Um, but I, I, I like this, the more contained approach of what Lego Brick Tales seems to be selling of you, you have a clear objective and these are the things and these are the things you build to get there. Because I feel like playing it, I'll have the moments of like, they never expected me to make this. <laughs> and then you see the design doc and they're like, they will make this. And I'll be like, oh, <laughs> I, made, <laughs> I made what they wanted me to make. Um, but I love stuff like that. Like uh, this is, what is that? It's clearly a helicopter. How can you not tell that yeah. this is a helicopter? <laughs> yeah, ask my son what that is. Uh, right. Daddy, yeah. it's obviously that's a house. Oh, it has wheels. Cool. No, cool. It's a house. <laughs> well, I, I, remember, I remember that I, I, I played a little bit of that Lego Worlds game because once again, when I saw it, I was excited by the promise of it. But in reality, I, I think you nailed it. It was almost too open-ended. Mm-hmm. In that, you know, you could go in and you could build anything, but it was like just building with Legos without any of the power of like a video game on top of it. You could build a mm-hmm. helicopter, but I don't, if I recall, you couldn't like make it fly. I think you could maybe make vehicles and stuff if you put wheels on them. But I think part of the, you know, interesting part of Legos is trying to have like, I don't know. Whenever I sit down and play Legos with my kid, we're like, let's build plane, a plane, right? Yeah. And we and we start with a goal in mind. And I think that this game has a little bit more potential in that area of, of giving you a sort of starting point and a goal with, with your building. The Lego worlds, you know, if you're not a person who was kind of in that Minecraft mentality of like, I'm going to go in and figure it out and decide what I'm going to build. If you're not that kind of person, I don't think that game ever would have landed with you because it was just, there was no goal to it. It was just a giant world and you could build anything. Right. And yeah. that's kind of it. So. Yeah. This look, looks like it's Mary's the, the, uh, that, that creativity with sort of a, with constraint, right. With, yeah. with a, with a focus. And I think that's, uh, it could be a recipe for a, a really awesome game. I'm, I'm very excited to see, when this uh, launches, hopefully it'll be this year. They, they say it'll be out on uh, PC and uh, uh, consoles, even uh, last-gen consoles. Uh, so that's being made for, for cross-gen. Um, so this Lego Brick Tales. <sighs> Pretty excited about that one. Uh, Christian, what is your story of the week? Uh, there's a lot of good stuff, but I need to pick this as my story of the week because was it last week, two weeks ago? I forget. We had such a wonderful conversation about video games being adapted into movies. And one of my favorite conversations on this show of recent memories talking about the Pac-Man movie uh, <laughs> and figuring out what that is going to be. This movie, I think we have an easier idea of knowing what it might be. And that is the rumors that the Sony IP um, cross oh, media, yeah, cross media uh, journey continues. Uh, we got the first look, Jeff, I won't describe it for you at all, but in an HBO 
Sizzle. They showed the first scenes of The Last of Us adaptation coming next year. Uncharted is out on VOD and streaming everywhere now. And they're not slowing down. Days Gone, movie adaptation in the works, rumored to be penned by Sheldon Turner, who I believe wrote X-Men First Class. And an an early aughts Texas Chainsaw, but more importantly, Up in the Air. I know he wrote that. The other two I'm guessing, but he co-wrote Up in the Air, um, which is that George Clooney movie. I love that movie. movie. I think it's phenomenal. I think it was nominated for Best Adapted, um, an Oscar nomination for that. And he's also, I I think, I know Up in the Air, and I think, uh, I should probably look. I think he's also rumored to be doing Splinter Cell. So, that has me excited because he's written one of my favorite small movies in terms of up in the air where it's just characters and, you know, shows good characterization. Also genre with X-Men first class seems to have video game cred or weight if that splinter cell rumor sticks and days gone while not my favorite Sony first party zombie franchise. Um, (laughs) It's clear to see the movie there. And I think it could make a fantastic fantastic film so i'm i'm more excited for this than pac-man the movie believe, yeah. believe it or not. i think i'm surprised i mean <laughs> yeah you definitely could see this one as a film a little easier than pac-man um interesting to me that this is even happening i they i saw in this article they're describing it as a love letter to motorcycle movies which oh. that sentence was like oh now i'm really interested because that sounds really like a cool notion obviously if you've played the game you spend a lot of time on your motorcycle, fixing your motorcycle, messing with your motorcycle, running from zombies on your motorcycle. So I love this notion of, you know, kind of a uh, an easy rider with zombies. Uh, yeah. Sounds kind of rad. Um, but but I think the most interesting thing to me about this is that it's happening at all. Uh, Days Gone evidently sold over 9 million copies, which is not too shabby by anybody's estimation. And yet, Bend Studio, which made Days Gone reportedly wanted to make a sequel and suddenly went, nah, nobody wants that. It's like, well, it's the, the franchise isn't good enough for a sequel that the developer wants to make, but it is good enough for a major Hollywood motion picture. I think that that's seems cool. Hot. I think that, I mean, I don't know. I think I, one, I think it's, you want to own IP, right? When you make stuff and you have cross media. And I think it's cool that something that maybe wasn't the video game hit you wanted it to be can be, can work in other media in a really big way. I mean, I think there's movies like Road to Perdition is a comic book. And I don't think people like comic book was good, but it didn't, yeah. you know, people don't are not rushing to buy the graphic novel. Atomic Blonde is right. coldest city or lonely. So I, I, I really like seeing stuff like this. And I think, yeah, maybe it does have the ingredients for a great film while not, uh, you know, not You're being saying a great it, video it doesn't game. need to advertise that it's a video game movie. It doesn't need to ride on its video game roots really. as much oh, as yeah. maybe a, you know, a Pac-Man movie might. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think it, I think that's an interesting point that this is, this, you know, this this IP does not have a huge amount of name recognition. And I feel like when this movie comes out, they could almost try and sell it as not a, not a video game movie. Mm. I mean, cause your normal audience is going to see, Oh, it's m- motorcycle zombie movie. I'm kind of yeah. into that potentially, hey, you know, it's, it's kind of an intriguing concept and I can see almost a film 
version of it maybe working better than the game even uh and so uh yeah i can see that i can see it having a second life potentially as a film i yeah i think the interesting thing about this game is it feels like it flew way under the radar when you said it even sold nine million copies i was kind of surprised at that right it, uh yeah. you know i remember when it came out it got kind of pretty good good reviews but not many people I knew were like playing. It didn't have that kind of, you know, zeitgeist type that, you know, a lot of games have, but almost every, I, I didn't get to play this game. I've seen like so much footage of it, but uh, everybody I know who's played it was like, oh yeah, the first, you know, four or five hours, it's like, okay. And then it gets really good after that. I'm like, okay, well, if I got to get like five hours to get into it, maybe that explains why it didn't have like a hype train with it, but it has so many cool ideas in it. You know, I think yeah. my only concern with it is just, I feel like we're, we went through, you know, a zombie phase every, several years ago and everyone got, myself included, got so burned out on zombies. And it feels like there's a bunch of zombie stuff coming out again. Uh, and I just don't know if we're going to have a zombie movie comeback. Yeah, here. well, I kind of I mean, feel like that's part of the problem that the game faced was yeah. it was just like, it's another zombie thing. You know, it's it, it, it was kind of cool. And I thought the execution was actually pretty darn good. But even like Christian, like you pointed out, you know, even among Sony first party games, it felt like it was already kind of shouldered out by Last of Us. It just felt like, well, okay, well, I'm already kind of doing the, you know, post-apocalyptic zombie on the run, got to cobble together resources, third person action game. So I don't know. It's, but it's where I think it can work, though. And I hadn't thought of it as necessarily leaning into the motor motorcycle culture. You mentioned Easy Rider, but like Sons of Anarchy plus zombies, Mayans yeah. plus zombies like uh, and you you all had an excellent uh, film cast with uh, Dan Trachtenberg about Prey, but also something like Prey with motorcycle, you know, like you can have this very focused yeah. character one thing hunting another thing style drama that i think is resonating with people now in media but i agree scott like if it is just like these zombies are fast and slow i'll be like well okay I don't, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, the, I the ironic more. thing will be is if this movie does really well and then it makes the sequel happen in the video game world, you know, that'll be fun. You get the video game based on the movie. Yeah. Is- yeah. <laughs> ben Studio will be like, finally, we get to make this. And um, they're like, no, 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 we're giving it to a different studio. It's now a cheap, it's going to be like a movie tie in that's like crappy, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Like the old uh, late 90s video game movies <laughs> or video you, games based on movies. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you're right, Christian. This is uh, more evidence. It feels like every other week we're talking about another Sony property that's going to be turned into a, a film or a TV series. And it really seems like they're serious about, you know, getting every every last, you know, IP that they own, which, hey, I think that's cool. I, I want all of these to be amazing. I think that that could be a really cool uh, shot in the arm for for the video game industry, too. So why not? My story of the week. Uh, I'm going to do this one uh, because uh, I'm fascinated by it. We, we This is a, a report that came out by The Verge that uh, basically uh, states that Microsoft has claimed that Sony has been paying what they call blocking rights, preventing developers from adding games to Xbox Game Pass. Now, a lot of this evidently is coming to light as part of Microsoft's acquisition of of Activision Blizzard. But 
the notion here, you know, obviously we on this show have talked up uh, Xbox Game Pass and PC Game Pass uh, a lot uh, and how um, it really seems to be changing the industry in a really interesting way and uh, the value proposition of Game Pass and how all these day and date releases, first party and third party that Microsoft seems to be able to line up are, uh, you know, just incredible value for, for what you pay a month. And it, it really feels like the Netflix of video games in a lot of ways. Interesting to me that, of course, other major publishers, major platform holders would see that as a threat. I think that's obvious. But that Sony would, uh, you know, in, in this war of exclusivity, this war of keeping things off other platforms, this war of, of trying to, you know, <laughs> the console war, that potentially Sony would be going out to companies and saying, hey, we'll give you some dollars to prevent your game from being on Game Pass. I'm curious. I don't know how much you're able to talk about this. I know you're a developer yourself, Skylar, so I don't want to put you in an awkward position, but I, I'm curious what you make of this and if you think it's a, a negative thing for the industry or just another example of something that's existed for a long, long time of, of these platform holders trying to pay for exclusivity and trying to get a competitive advantage over their, uh, over their competitors. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I'll be honest, I read this article and I was kind of a little bit confused as to what the big deal was. So maybe I'm misunderstanding it. But I mean, I don't quite understand what the difference here is other you know, than what streaming services are doing where they have like exclusive films to their platform and stuff. And I guess maybe the like sort of outrageous part is the fact that they're paying for it as opposed to just in that maybe maybe you can explain it more but it doesn't surprise me at all i guess uh you know the particularly sony and microsoft have always been trying to get that like one one leg up uh, and they've literally sold their consoles from day one on exclusive games and i think the interesting thing now is that there isn't quite as much exclusivity as there used to be. So this seems like, you know, them trying to eke out some last remaining hope of having like some exclusivity to their consoles. I mean, when I looked at this generation's, you know, true exclusives, there's very few that are like totally console selling. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so I think that what you're seeing is a transition from relying on, Hey, we gotta, we gotta have exclusive games to, to like sell the console to, we gotta have exclusive games to sell these services because I think that's where everything's going is to these services. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Is there, is there like legal shaky ground? with this because that's kind of what the article was implying is that this was like some some kind of shady behavior but i guess i don't quite understand the difference between this and the, their other just like general exclusivity deals do you know the nuance to it well luckily we have a a person on this podcast who passed the bar and is a current <laughs> active lawyer uh ready to weigh in with legal advice that you can bet on you can take to the bank because he is an active lawyer with no disclaimer needed. Can I just say that uh, I passed two bars? Uh, <laughs> two Jeff, bars. So you got you got all of that wrong. Also, I'll say that uh, Better Call Saul nailed the landing. Um, Epic Open World says in the chat, 
that Jeff Grubb talked about this and a per Epic talking about Jeff Grubb saying that it's, it's a clause in the contract that if you are take marketing money from Sony, then you can't be on game pass. That makes a lot of sense to me where it's like, Hey, if we have a marketing deal and we're going to be like at the end of the, we're going to pay to market your game. And at the end of the game in exchange, we want that Sony logo. You can't then go be on game pass. And I I think a lot of, unless you're death stranding, I guess. (laughs) So that's another, you're alluding to another story that we haven't talked about yet. Um, But all of it is contractual, right? So like if there is something on shaky legal ground, then it would be a violation of some contract somewhere, but you can pretty much contract to do anything except illegal stuff. Like you can't put in your contract, like uh, we're going to give you marketing money and you also are going to give us 10 kilos of cocaine and you're going <laughs> to kill these five three people. people. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 You can't do that. But like your contract could say, like, uh, we're, you know, we want, you're going to give us marketing money, a bag of M&Ms in perpetuity. Like, that's fine. Right. You know, you can have that. What I think is fascinating about this M&Ms story. are filled with cocaine. Well, shush, buddy. Come on. Uh, it's actually crack. It's cheaper. Um, but it's same, same difference. Um, what I find interesting about this story, if the facts presented in these articles are true, is that, sorry, I'm laughing at what I'm going to say because it blows my mind that Sony wasn't, we want you for our service. Like Sony has a service. Sony <laughs> yeah. has a game. Like no part of this was like, we're going to pay you money so that you can be on our thing day and date. They were like, don't be on that other thing. And someone from some other department was like, should they be on our thing? And they were like, shut up, Gary. No one talks about our thing. They can't be on that other thing. I think that's, I mean, I think honestly, that's where, to answer your question more directly, Scholar, I think that's where the, the feeling of this being slimy comes from. Because you're right, it, it you know as far back as there's been you know consoles, as far back as Sega and Nintendo, there's been hey you have a cool game, put it on our console, don't put it on our competitors. We'll give you some extra dollars, or we'll pay for more promotion, or whatever. We'll sweeten the deal. That's been cocaine. Okay. Comment. <laughs> we'll let you murder three people. Um, the uh, <laughs> they just can't be our mascots. Uh, the the. The weird thing here, I think the thing that feels icky to people is we just want we just want you to not do it over <laughs> yeah. here. Like it's it's not that we're giving you something in exchange for, you know, it's that just prevent it from going over here. And that's that's what I think feels a little weird and especially a, a service that you know, people like so much with uh, Xbox Game Pass because it feels it feels like you're taking something away from me. When it's like, hey, oh, it's either on PlayStation or it's on Xbox and never the twain shall meet. That feels a little more fair play. Like, okay, well, fair and square. You got the new Call of Duty expansion on your console and I can't play it over here. But when it's like, I pay for the service and you, you won't, you just, you just, Tell them no, they're not allowed to do that. It just, I guess that feels worse. Yeah. Well, in, I, in that, from that direction, it starts to feel a little desperate. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like it would be the equivalent of like a sports team drafting someone they don't want the other team to have, but then just telling them they're going to sit on the bench all season. It's yeah. just, we don't want the other team to have you. That's you know exactly I mean? right. No, that's a great analogy. I was going to say something way dumber than that. No, that's the perfect analogy. I mean, that does happen in other business. Uh, yeah. I'll speak uh, only uh, anecdotally to we're going to buy this TV show. What are you going to do with it? 
nothing. Why yeah. did you want it? Fox really wanted it. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to so, buy the what? script. I'm going to buy the script and not make the movie because uh, everybody wants that script. So you can't let yeah, other we're people. We're not going to make it. It's yeah. way too expensive to make. We're never yeah. going to make it. But, uh, <laughs> but thank you very much. I also think you mentioned the Death Stranding thing. So that is on PC. Death Stranding is on PC Game Pass now. The PC publishing of Death Stranding is handled by 505. And so there's like that difference, but also MLB the show was day and date on Game Pass. And that was a Sony made game that somehow, and I a while ago when this first happened, I read through some of the contracts that were available online. I believe it was a while ago that I read this. So I might be getting it wrong, but I believe it was something in the contract with MLB when MLB negotiated the rights with Sony to keep making somewhat exclusive baseball games there was this loophole that allowed for publishing on other platforms and microsoft defined game pass as a platform so that whatever but if those things are true i kind of understand sony being like no we've been pushed into the locker too many times you are not getting <laughs> yeah. this one like yeah i mean there, there's got to be some even if it's just business bad blood between game pass and sony and it, it yeah i i understand being bitter and being like no i'm taking my ball bye-bye <laughs> christian do you have any insight as to the the disclosure of this this is involved in the the uh potential activision blizzard acquisition and it's it's been filed with brazil's national competition regulator you know they're basically saying this is unfair it's hampering our our ability to grow game pass. Do you, do you have any insight into, you know, what ramifications this might have? Yeah. My understanding is a lot of this regulatory stuff is coming out because of the Activision merger and different right. countries have different disclosure rules that are required. And a lot of people are talking about the FTC and here in the U S and how, if it's going to be allowed and if it's not going to be allowed, if it's anti-competitive, but if you are a global multinational company, they're doing that in a lot of other con- uh, countries as well, where they have to meet these things. I believe it was, I don't know if it was the EU or UK, again, we talked about the story months ago, but the um, ARM NVIDIA deal was blown up, I think, because of EU's version of antitrust stuff looking at it. Like the EU also is aggressive with a lot of this stuff as well. And so what we're getting now is this treasure trove of documents, because I think it is Brazil, Jeff, as you said, that they require public uh, posting or accessible documents of all this stuff. So you're seeing these two sides kind of jockey for position. And I imagine there's probably, again, total speculation on my part, but like some truth to it. And then a lot of business posturing just from my experience when I did practice law, it's like, hey, we're going to object to these interrogatories. Do I know that we'll have to compel? Yeah, but screw those people. I'm going to object and I'm going to make some poor associate over there write the request to compel, like (laughs) just because, you know, or whatever tactic you have. So I feel like there's some of that going on. Do I think there'll be anything that if I had to guess? No, like this isn't going to be the thing that brings anybody down. If I were the other side, and I think these documents might be there, I would literally point to Sony's thing and be like, you have the same thing. Like nothing's different here. It's just how we're delivering this content has changed. But I've been wrong once or twice before, like once games not being delayed, you know, occasionally. I, uh, <laughs> I am not a lawyer, never have been a lawyer. But if I know anything about uh, Brazilians, 
It's uh, they don't want anything to cover it up. You know, you just said it's full exposure. Bikinis. You're, you're talking about bikinis. What? No. About. Why would I? That's the terror. That would be a. Yeah, you just have to see. You have to see everything, right? Mm-hmm. No. Yes. Okay. That was terrible. Uh, let's uh, let's move on. I have to talk about our sponsor, Squarespace. Squarespace. Oh my goodness. I love Squarespace. I've been using Squarespace for over, what, like almost 15 years now? JeffCanada.com was built on Squarespace. I recommend Squarespace to friends and family. I, I've been using Squarespace forever. They've been sponsors forever. But Squarespace now has something even better than when I started using it. Now it is a place, the one stop all-in-one platform for your brand, to build your brand, to grow your business online. You can stand out. You can stand out with a beautiful website. That has always been the case with Squarespace. So simple to create incredible-looking websites. You can engage with your audience, and you can sell anything, your products, the content you create, even your time. It's so simple now with the new Squarespace. Now they've got member areas. Squarespace makes it easy for you to create these member areas, monetize your content expertise in a way that fits your brand. The member areas allow you to unlock a new revenue stream for your business and free up your time by selling access to gated content like videos, online courses, or newsletters. Plus, those same videos that you may want to sell, you can create right there in the suite of Squarespace tools. The Squarespace Video Studio app helps you make and share engaging videos to tell your story, grow your audience, and drive sales. And if you've got an online store or you want to sell anything, even if it's physical, if it's digital, if it's your time, anything you want to sell, Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online very, very simply, very, very easily, and so quickly as well. It's all just drag and drop. It's so simple. Those Squarespace tools that I've been talking about for more than 15 years, they're still just as easy, just as intuitive. All what you see is what you get. Plus, you've got mobile optimized websites. You don't have to do anything to be optimized for mobile. It just handles it for you. That's the thing that's great about Squarespace is you don't need to be a programmer. You don't need to know any of the backend stuff. You never have to patch anything or upgrade anything. All that stuff is handled for you. Plus, you've got blogging and commenting features. You can create a community on your Squarespace website with their fully integrated commenting system that supports threaded comments, replies, and likes. It's amazing. Check it out yourself. Don't take my word for it. Go to squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me. You'll get a free trial. You don't even need to give them a credit card. Just completely free. And then when you're ready to launch, use our offer code, which is Jeff sent me. J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E, all one word. You'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. I use Squarespace to buy domains as well. Super cool front end for that. Very simple, very easy. And you can get 10% off using our promo code. Again, squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me and the promo code Jeff sent me for 10% off. It 
It is time to talk about the games that we have been playing. And Skylar, you have been playing a game that I have been absolutely loving the last <clears throat> couple of weeks. And that is Cult of the Lamb. Yeah, uh, I, I actually just bought this game yesterday and I probably played it for 10 hours in the last <laughs> two days. I understand uh, why it is addictive. It is. I mean, they have married. Okay, so if you don't know about the game, I mean, obviously you're a little familiar with it. They married sort of roguelike dungeon crawling with Stardew Valley slash Animal Crossing Village, all under the veneer of running a cult. Uh, and I thought, I thought going into this game that, uh, because it has a very charming art style. Everything's very cute. You know, at the beginning you get killed and then go into the underworld and make a deal with a demon who sends you back and tells you to start a cult. But I still thought at that point it was going to be kind of the tame version of that. <laughs> and then within the first, you know, you know, I get a couple, I get a couple of cute little followers in my cult, cult village and i'm you know feeding them and taking care of them lovingly yeah and just about the time i get attached to them this demon overlord who brought me back to life is like listen i put you here to not to make friends with them it might be you know you might think that it might be nice but we gotta like milk these guys for all they're worth that's basically yeah. what he tells you and then he's like you need to go sacrifice one of them <laughs> And that's like all in the first, you know, 15 or 20 minutes of the game. And then, and so it, it, you know, framework wise has this great loop of you go out into these dungeons. It's kind of randomized roguelike content. So, you know, if you've played Dead Cells or Binding of Isaac or Hades, that kind of side of it is, will be very familiar. You just sort of get dropped in with some weapons and you go as far as you can. And when you get get out the resources that you got from there you use to build up your like village and your call but it becomes only maybe about two to three hours in does it become obvious that what you're really doing is just creating a farm where followers are the product which is kind <laughs> yes. of messed up yes you're like you know you have all the things like starting value you build them like nice nice houses and you can upgrade them so they're like nicer for them so that they're happier and you can build a farm and you can you know all these things but really you're just like milking the 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 villagers for every last drop they are and the, and the ultimate goal is to get as much out of them as you can before they grow old and then right at the day they're gonna die you try to sacrifice them first, you get maximum, <laughs> maximum spiritual energy out of them. So it's like, it's very, uh, you know, it's kind of messed up. I was, oh, yeah. I was, oh, I was sitting there, my wife was like, this game looks really cute. And I was like, yeah, this game's like super messed up. And I think, I think the thing that got me the most was um, if you, if you've played it long enough, you start, uh, I, I mean, I'm trying to, I won't, I won't really give any spoilers. So I'll just talk about this mechanic you get the ability to create doctrines for your cult, right? So very early on, you learn you're going to have to sacrifice these followers. Well, when you when you preach a doctrine, you kind of collect these tablets and you can preach a doctrine. You can choose to, to teach your followers that death's not the end, that the afterlife is going to be great. And so when you start sacrificing them, they start to like really like that they're being sacrificed and you get <laughs> even more and people aren't so sad that they got sacrificed. And yeah, so it really yeah. plays into a lot of the uh, like horrifying 
cult brainwashing techniques in oh, a way yeah. that I did not expect going into it. It's super dark. And you're right. It, yeah. it, it belies that with the, the cutesy, like all the, it's like these anthropomorphized animals and they're, they're, it's very, it's very animal crossing, you know? And, uh, and it, I was exactly the same way when I started, I was like, I'm going to be the benevolent cult leader. You know, I'm going to be like the nice guy cult leader. Yeah, sure. We're part of this d- demonic cult. But, you know, I'm going to treat everybody with respect. And then, you know, you start realizing, oh, this is I got some really messed up stuff that I can do. And then the first time a, a follower is like they're they're preaching against you and trying to subvert your will. I'm like, oh, no, I, you know, you throw them in the stockades and you're like, with you. <laughs> yeah, you're like punishing them and burning them at the stake. And there's like re- super dark stuff. I like I unlocked the ability to marry my followers. It's like you can marry as many of them as you want, but they might get jealous of each other. It's like, oh, dude, this game is it pulls no punches when it comes to simulating the dark cult idea. <laughs> When it has almost every, it, you can take it almost every angle of every cult. There's even an angle of, you know, using like psychedelic drugs <laughs> to brainwash your cult yeah. and make them feel more connected to each other and stuff like that. So, I mean, as a person who had a phase of watching like every, you know, weird cult documentary that existed, it's like a who's who of <laughs> of brainwashing tactics and real cult manipulation so i was like oh yeah that's that one from like (laughs) that documentary but 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 also super fun game (laughs) yeah right i mean i i think the i think the um the roguelike stuff is really really well done i think the the combat is very satisfying it ramps up it gets crazy difficult and you know, just kinetic and, and wild when you, you know, get to the third or fourth area. Um, and the weapons are cool and they ramp up and get interesting and neat. And the, the, the sort of magical abilities you have, which is your sort of secondary attack. Those are cool. It, it handles that sort of Hades style room to room roguelike combat very well. And also does the city planner, city builder thing well in that, I always have way more things that I want to do than I can do in a given day. There's, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I it's, it's Sim City. It's, it's whatever one of those games you want to talk about where it's like, I, I got a million things I need to do. Everybody's demanding things of me and I, I have a ticking clock and all of that stuff is very satisfying. So I think it, it doesn't really short shrift either half of the game, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think one of the most intriguing, I think like new things it brings to, those genres and i mean i guess like stardew valley had this a little bit but when you're in the roguelike dungeon the timer doesn't stop on your village and in fact you get like notifications it's it's like almost like uh you're getting getting like a text stream on the side of your screen telling you like what's going on in the village and sometimes you're like oh no yeah because because you know you're you're in a dungeon then it's like oh jelly bean died <laughs> yeah. and, he, and i'm like oh no i don't have somebody on janitor service back at the village which means everybody's getting sick because there's just like a dead body in the village and i still have to be in this dungeon for like 10 more minutes yeah. you know and so there's this really interesting interplay 
where you're kind of always thinking about what's going and, and in these other roguelike games I play, I feel like they're very flow focused where you're getting in the flow of the combat and stuff. And it's interesting that just as you're kind of getting into that, it like pulls you back to remind you that you're, there's this like other cult, there's like this meta game going on. And I actually think that's a pretty interesting innovation that I, I don't know. I haven't really like played another game where it's almost two separate games, but each game when you're in it is kind of like reminding you of the other one that's happening. Yeah. And it all feels very persistent and interesting. Um, and Ian, you know, so it's so persistent that at one point I accidentally forgot to pause it and walked away <laughs> and put my son to bed. And then I came back and my entire cult was like in chaos. Oh, no. <laughs> half, half of it was dead. And I was like, oh no, and it auto-saved. I have to like get all this back in order, you know? So, uh, so yeah, don't, don't walk away from it. <laughs> Yeah, the, I saw uh, early on one of the one of the uh, potential upgrades that you can you can purchase is like leave the uh, you know the roguelike dungeon at any point. Yeah. And I'm like, why would I ever need that? And then I quickly realized, oh, why? Because yeah, because Jellybean is starving to death. You know, <laughs> I just got a notification that you know it's uh, oh, I gotta leave. I gotta leave. I, I can't kill any more. Uh, demons in the in the, th in the dungeon i gotta come out and feed my people and clean up their poop yeah i gotta get jelly bean to a ripe old age i can't <laughs> exactly. let it starve now i'm gonna squeeze every last bit of of uh devotion from them so oh, is man. the moral of this game cults pretty dope to be the leader or hey cults are bad like no, where does that you know, what i said last week i think the moral of this game is a cult leader's work is never done that's that, <laughs> yeah. that's my takeaway <laughs> I mean, it's not until it's like, depending on the cult, until it's all done. You until, know, like yeah. There's, yeah, I mean, there's one point when it's done. But uh, um, yeah. I'm curious, and we didn't talk about it last week, and, and I think I'll talk about this later, potentially. But I'm curious how, uh, what the roguelike roles are. And I haven't played it. This is one that's like, sounds very interesting, but doesn't seem like it's a for me style game. Um, that rogue type stuff is just in the dungeon like or you're not getting new roles when you come back to your village where it's like oh now this because this died this next person has this other thing or something like that does that make sense is it just just that dungeon clearing and then the village is kind of well they i guess it's kind of persistent in a way well they overlap in cool ways like you get you get stuff in the you can get resources that will help your village you know you can find stone and wood and and all the stuff that you might need to build things in your village in the dungeon as well so sometimes the best way forward for a a village that's in need is to like go into the dungeon and and kill stuff yeah and there is and there is like a direct interplay too where <clears throat> you know like a good example is there the random one of the one of the more interesting random elements you get in the dungeons is there's basically a tarot card scheme thing you come into some of these rooms and this guy and he'll lay out three tarot cards or two tarot cards and you get to pick one right um but through then the all the external stuff you're doing in the village you can either earn new tarot cards that go into your like roles in the dungeon that could appear you can buy them from vendors that are in like the nearby places you can travel to you can even do rituals in your village that then affect what will happen to you in the run. They'll give you like bonus things or stuff like that. And so there is this interplay where they both sort of have a pretty significant impact on the other one. And I actually think that that, like I said, that's kind of, I think the interesting innovation of the game is I've played a lot of like 
Stardew Valley, Animal Crossing-y type games, and they're all great in their little contained bubble. And I played a lot of like roguelite games and they're awesome in their little bubble. But marrying those two is a very interesting concept. And I and I'm always I always like roguelite games in general. I'm like a I just like almost, almost like buy a game if it's a roguelike, basically. But I'm most interested in roguelikeifying like other genres. So uh, <laughs> this is this one was pretty intriguing to me. So yeah. No, it sounds like we're very similar in that in that regard. Uh, again, that's Cult of the Lamb, and it sounds like Skylar uh, and I both give it a hearty hearty thumbs up with a content warning. It's pretty dark. It's pretty. But again, you know, when I heard about this game originally, it kind of didn't interest me. I was like, I don't know if I want to run a cult. That sounds pretty. But it's 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 fun, and it's just it's just sort of cheeky enough that all that dark stuff it, it plays in a, a almost a tongue-in-cheek way or so over the top that it, it doesn't really feel as dark as something like a um oh uh fr- what is that frost what was that game the the game oh, about uh keeping gloom um, no the frost yeah i'm gonna look it up oh what is it called uh, I have it in my Steam library. Um, but it was the the RTS about, you know, keeping a, a people Frost warm. Punk. Frostpunk. Oh. Yeah, thank you. Which, that game felt dark and, like, just dark. It's just like, oh, I guess I'm going to eat people to keep my, fam- <laughs> my, my city running. Yeah, anyway. Frostpunk, thank you. Uh, what else is on your playlist, Skylar? Uh, the other game that I put on here was Root Digital. So, uh... I'm a big board game nerd. I have a huge collection of board games and Root has always been one of my favorites uh, in the past few years. Uh, And this game's actually been out for a while, but they keep updating it with new content. So Root, um, I think it's made by, uh, uh, I want to say Dire Wolf, I think Mm -hmm. is the studio that made it. One of the best, Colorado. Yeah, one of the best uh, digital board game adaptations I've ever played. They like really captured the spirit of the game, the art of the game. And actually, I kind of prefer it to playing the actual game because the actual game, if, if you played it, is difficult to set up. The rules are a little bit hard to reference because if you if you played it, the the factions are all asymmetrical. So you kind of have to be able to like pass around this rule book and read what everyone can do. And one of the coolest things in it is it has all the rules for all the factions just available to you all the time in a quick menu. You can just like Mm. open them up and look at them while other people are taking turns. So if you see someone else doing something, you can just be like, Oh wait, what is the, what are the birds doing? And you can quick click and see their like quick reference sheet right there. And you can look at what they're doing. It also has like a running recap that shows what everybody's doing. You can like scroll back there. Very, very cool. Um, And they uh, also has asymmetrical play. So you can join it with your friends and, uh, you know, start a game and play it over weeks. Or you can sit down and play it all together live. Uh, And also cross play on like everything. So you can play it on your tablet with people on PC. And anyways, if you've ever played Root and liked it, I would highly recommend the digital version of Root. It's just really stellar. They did such a good job with it. And I don't play many digital board games, but that's one that I like come back to and play with several groups because it's just such a great adaptation of it. Awesome. That's great. I have not checked out the digital version of Root. Uh, I have thought about buying it many times on Steam, but I have not done it. Um, that sounds, that's phenomenal. Is it, 
is it available on iPad as well? I love playing it digital is. board games. Oh, yeah. nice. And I would actually say iPad is maybe the best experience. I have a big like iPad Pro, the 13th, and it's really good to play on that. Yeah. Awesome. So that is the digital version of Root. And uh, that is what is on Skylar's playlist. Christian, you and I have both been playing a new game that just came out. I've been playing it almost exclusively on my Steam Deck. I feel like this is a Steam Deck choice. Just perfect for Steam Deck. Uh, And it is Cursed to Golf. What do you think of it? Yeah, I've been playing on my... uh old steam deck also known as a nintendo switch uh i'm playing oh on switch, you got it on switch oh which i don't know the last game i got a code uh for curse to golf um and i don't know the last time i really played a lot of a game on my switch i'm trying to think of like what it, pokemon was this year there's a lot of that I'm trying to think what else something else was probably this year too but like since having my steam deck it feels weird to be like kirby oh, right kirby Oh yeah, Kirby. Yes, a lot of yeah, Kirby's fantastic. Um, it's it's funny too because my oldest daughter saw my Steam Deck recently. Uh, I've been ha- playing still a lot of Elden Ring on it, and she just goes, "Oh, cool! I didn't know you had an old prototype Switch. Is that valuable? <laughs> the big clunky one before they shrunk yeah. it down to the this size? Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh no, that's a different thing. And she's like, oh, she's like, but it's old, right? And I'm like, no. She's like, looks it, and then like you know, gives me this like. I'm almost a teenager, like whatever. And like, you know, saunters away from me. And I was like, no, burn. Um, <laughs> but back to Kirsten. That's what I'm you playing. want though. You want her not to want to play with it. That's true. Yeah. It's, it stinks. Yeah. It's a yeah. prototype. It's real buggy. You don't like it. Yeah. Uh, go back to your switch light child. <laughs> um, but you pick, I can play. I'd be like, yeah, fine. Um, Kirsten golf on switch runs, plays great on switch. I think sometimes you need to add that, that caveat to switch games now, but it is a pixel art, um, adorable art direction, just really phenomenal. I think in terms of the, the graphic art direction and style and the animation, everything is full of character and really cool. I'm going to say cutesy and I don't mean that derogatory, but just like vibrant, playful and maybe like cult of the lamb where like you are a golfer who has died and are suffering through a hellish purgatory golf course where you're trying to escape to save your life meanwhile your golf cart is like uh a rounded uh theme parks like cars almost on it bounces like it's like flintstones <laughs> car basically yeah. 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 And it's got this real cute little bounce and your little clubs are bouncing around in the back and you're this little, you know, Casper-esque cute little ghosty character and it's like just has like Animal Crossing style kind of gibberish like and it's like you're doomed you're gonna play golf here forever and I'm like this is a, a treat and it is a 2D side scrolling golf game which I think is an interesting take on on golf I love Mario Golf uh, Advance I think is my favorite I've played all the Mario Golfs Golf Story is fantastic and Curse to Golf takes a different approach where it is this 2D side-scrolling screen where you can zoom out and kind of move around and preview the whole course. But when you are playing, you can't. You oftentimes, if you're using your driver, uh, Jeff, we texted about this, but you can't you can't see where it's going to land. You know, like yeah. you can preview over there, but you can't look at that farther away area while you're aiming. So there's always this little bit of like, okay, I want to go there. I need to go up a little bit. 
eh, and it like has this risk reward identity built into it. So it's kind of, it's a golf game, but also kind of married with a precision platformer in a weird way where you're trying, instead of landing your character, you're trying to land your ball in the right spot to then make a play to hit a statue in the world that then gives you more shots. Cause each hole you have a limited amount of shots to get through it. And then you have power-ups that you can use to manipulate your ball or to give you more shots or to get out of a jam in, in a specific way. And I think it's a really fascinating take on a golf genre, kind of the same way. Um, uh, oh gosh, I just flew out of my head. The, pinball game that wasn't that was like a platformer yeah. but you did it in um yeah. you, you, you I, I had the same uh, comparison yes, yes what what was it scott what are you trying to say i, I, I went I, yoku's island express yes yeah yeah and then i said like yoko lately but that's not his yoku's island express we made it work yes yes it's that or whatever we're close enough to the title you should know what it is now but like kind of like that and i love everything about curse to golf except the thing, Jeff, that maybe you might like the most about it, or Skylar, the thing that will make you go buy it if you haven't, it's a it, it's a rogue type. There's a rogue type thrown on top of it. And when you die, you go back to the beginning and the courses are randomized and your power-ups are randomized. And you got to slog through it again. And man, I've been close to getting out of hell or purgatory. And it, pardon my French, yes, like I 16. Haven't. Oh, really? I, dude. Okay, I have played a lot of this game. <laughs> and I like so much of it. It is so much fun to play. So yes. much fun. The 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 central idea here, which is hit your ball through a Metroid-like two-dimensional dungeon. Yeah, it's not left to right. It's like up or down or back, like where the flag is. Almost always multiple paths to get to the hole. Sometimes there's multiple holes. You can decide which hole you want to shoot for. And there are all kinds of things like TNT that'll be blocking a certain area. And if you hit your ball onto the TNT, it blows it up, opening up a new pathway that you can then take to shortcut your way through the... So all kinds of really fun, creative ways to attack a a, a a a a dungeon or a a level or a hole i guess in this case and yeah they're it's roguelike uh randomized so you're gonna it's a, you know, almost infinitely different every time and and fun it really really fun creative way of doing that and basically what you're doing is you're picking between three clubs a driver an iron or a wedge that basically give you different arcs of of the path of the ball and so you're you're selecting that and it'll show you the little arc before you hit it and you have a you know a classic video game power meter that you hit and it makes the arc go farther or or less far and you can sort of see when you do the power meter first and then it shows you the arc and you can sort of go, oh, is that good? No, I'm going to try that again. You can back out of it and back yeah. out of it and keep trying and do that, which is I love how forgiving that is. And again, major nitpick that sometimes where I want to hit my ball is on my screen and I can judge it using that arc. Other times it's off my screen and I'm just shooting blind. 
you know there's a hazard over there, and you know where you kind of need to land it, and if you're yep. not going to use a power-up that lets you land it mid-flight, then it's, what are you going to, and and that's the thing, I think that's intentional, because you have a power-up that's like a practice shot, or like a tracer, basically, and like, you get things that alleviate that, but it still, in my opinion, doesn't feel good to use that power-up. Right! <laughs> it's, it it, is, it is frustrating, it, that is frustrating, where it's like, sometimes I can line my shot up perfectly, and it feels really good, and other times I just can't. And there's no really, it's just, well, sometimes you can and sometimes you can't. So that doesn't feel great. But that's a minor nitpick. The other thing that's cool is you can put spin on the ball while it's in flight. So you can have a, a shot land past the hole and then spin it back toward the hole or, or you know, use it in really, I think, clever, interesting, improvisational ways to try to figure out a way to compensate for overhitting or whatever. And you can double, you can, I think maybe even triple. It's like you can spin yeah, every to, time. Like you can four spin and then while yeah. it's spinning, bounce it again and back spin. And it's more awesome. than the traditional golf spin. But yeah, again, really oftentimes you, you are shooting the ball into an unknown area, an area where you don't really have much foreknowledge of where it's going to land. So you don't know what spin to put on it quite yet until it bounces. So again, that's like, it's awesome, but it's also a little too frustrating sometimes because like, oh, if I had known, like the camera doesn't go fast enough with the ball or it's not showing you enough of the course to be able to make those decisions as effectively as I'd like. Like when you hit the ball, it should just zoom out and show you where you're going. <laughs> Again, those are minor nits. My big qualm and the reason why as much as I really think this game is clever and awesome and I I kind of have been compelled to keep playing it and keep playing it and keep playing it ultimately i think i'm on the on the on the fence or, or on the over the line of i don't like this game hmm. and it is because of the roguelike layer which i'm in your camp skylar i love a roguelike i love a roguelite even more i like i will play a game if it's got that stuff almost blind just knowing it's a roguelike i'll give it a shot i tend to love that stuff this game uses the roguelike or the roguelite trappings, but completely botches the, the entire reason for including them, which is some sort of incremental progress run to run. What happens way too often for me, maybe I'm just bad at it, which is entirely possible because Christian, it sounds like you've gotten much closer to finishing an 18 hole thing. I'm like not even remotely close. Well, I think the uh, finish your thought and then so, I'll, I'll speak to that. Go ahead. The thing that is so frustrating is how quickly and absolutely your run can be ruined for the for the most minor mistake. Like for example, I'm doing, I'm doing my, uh, my power meter and, and I, I, you know, I go up to a, a certain level of power. And so it puts the arc of my shot and the arc is this, um, this oscillating motion that shows you the range. And so you, when you push the a button, it'll stop at a certain area and that's the shot that you do and it's moving. And most of the time I'm able to time that oscillation correctly, but once in a while I will miss and it'll hit the edge of something and knock it crazy where I don't want it to go. And while there are sometimes power-ups that let me mitigate that mistake, 
far too often that just completely ruins my run. I am now that I have not enough shots to actually make it anywhere useful. And I'm completely screwed, like irrevocably screwed. I have no options for something that was just like, oh, I mishit the A button slightly too soon or slightly too late. Now my whole run is gone. And there's, which would be okay if that was a catastrophic failure, but I had some tools at my disposal to remedy it. But your money doesn't carry over between runs. So any money that you're accruing, which you do after every successful hole, you get money and you can spend that money in the shop on upgrades, but you can only get to the shop. You can't get to the shop anytime you want. You can only get to the shop if it's on the path of your little roguelike road. So your money's just gone if you mess up, if you just didn't happen to spend it at the shop or you didn't get to a shop in time to spend it. It doesn't carry over to the next run. Your cards, your little power-up cards will carry over, but most of the time, I, it's random what card I get. And sometimes the cards that I happen to have in my hand are completely useless for the predicament I just got myself into. You know, I'll have, there'll be great cards like the mulligan, which lets you just do a do-over. But sometimes I have a whole hand of cards of just stuff that just isn't going to help right now. Or you do a practice shot and it's perfect. And then you do the real shot and you miss it by half a second. And you're just like, no, no. The practice shot card should let you just push a button and say, that's my real shot. That's what I wanted. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Did it. I did it. No one was looking. I I did it. It's really, it's really, that's really interesting. I mean, it's funny because I I bought this game at the same time as called it a lamb. And then I just got sucked into called a lamb and I haven't played this yet, but sorry. The, um, it's interesting that you, that you, you, they don't have what to me is the core thing that makes roguelike games tend to work, which is the ability through doing runs to get true recovery or catch up mechanics or, yes. and, and also the other thing tends to be uh, more fine control over the randomization of the elements I'm getting. Right? right. And those two things combined tend to allow you to go from complete chaos to like controlled chaos. Right. Yes. And if that little balance is off, the game just doesn't work. Right. And, and then the I, other interesting thing that you guys are talking about, which I find kind of strange is to, I played a lot of golf games over the year. I mean, I, like one of the, I remember way back in the day on my, mac in the early 90s like one of the first games i played was like some early 3d putt-putt golf game and i was like oh man I, i've never played golf i think i wouldn't play actual golf once in my life but i've played lots of <laughs> lots of golf video games yeah. and it's interesting that most golf video games i feel like are about having pretty finite control over what you're gonna do and even to the point of have having almost perfect information, but then the best laid your best laid plans become chaos because of the environmental elements or whatever. So it's interesting that you're. It sounds like what you're saying is that you don't even have that much precise control over where or how you're hitting the ball. But that that's like a pretty big part yeah. of the challenge of the game, which seems almost contrary to a lot of previous golf games. Where I mean, there's a lot, a lot of golf games have the power meter, which is random, but generally you're aiming. You can like your aiming is perfect and you can usually like see the whole course and it's strange to kind of take out those elements in a golf game. Yeah. It's like you have the control and you have the information. You just don't have them at the same time. Because exactly it makes it right. imperfect. That's exactly right. 
you know that it's over there and then but then you go back to your place and you can nudge the camera a little bit uh but then you can't if you're doing a drive for instance you can't see exactly where it's going to be and so then you zoom back out and like okay it's there and then you kind of approximate the arc in your head and i do think it was an intentional design decision but i don't except, think it all so, sometimes sometimes you good. can sometimes and you so, can right like right it's just it's weird that when it is all on my screen and and you have this ability to like nudge the camera over slightly. And yeah. so sometimes you can line it up so you can see exactly where your ball is going to land. And that feels really good. And so it goes, well, I, I also agree with you, Christian, that I think it's a design decision, but it's a baffling one because it feels good when I can see it. And so to take, to let me have that sometimes and to take it away other times doesn't make any, there's no, it, it just feels bad the other times, you know? And, and there's yeah. a lot of, it, there's honestly a lot of weird d- decisions to me in, in, in the game. Like, um, uh, just the fact that like, I mean, this is a stupid nitpick, but it kind of is, <laughs> it, it, it's part and parcel with the, the whole thing. Where I like, I don't understand. Like the, you have this vertical roadmap, you know, like slay the spire style, or there's a lot of roguelites that do the, the roadmap where there's branching paths, a couple of forks. Yeah. yeah, You can go the risky way, or you can go the other way. You can kind of choose, Oh, there's a shop over here, or there's just another hole over here. And and you're, you know, it's vertical on the, on the side of the screen. And on the left hand side of the screen, you have your cart and you, you're deciding which way you want to go on, on the right hand side of the screen of this vertical pathway but you have to push left and right for your cart to drive there. I just, I want to push up because I'm looking up the course of where I want to go, but it makes me, it's just like, how did you not? Well, again, stupid nitpicky thing, but I feel like it's, it's part and parcel to the whole experience of the game where it's like, it's so close to being a home run or a, a hole in one. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Uh, and it just doesn't, it doesn't do everything that you want it to do. It, it, it's so frustrating to me that I, I mean, it's, it's literally like rage quit inducing where I'm, I'm doing really good on a run and literally one tiny mistake will destroy it all. And there's nothing I can do to mitigate it. I I'm, I'm literally like, Oh, okay. I have three more shots left. I literally can't get to a, a, there's no way for me to get to a, a statue to get more shots or to get to the hole in that time. It's because I tried to do this risky way of going this other cool shortcut way and it just didn't work. It just, I just missed one shot and now I'm completely screwed and my entire progress is gone and it just feels, it feels bad. I just, I don't understand it. Yeah, I, I really like this game and I love this. I love the soundtrack. I love the art. Soundtrack's I love the great. presentation. It's, and I love the characters and, uh, I feel like for me, these nits that I share many of with you, like, again, yes, this would have been a touchdown with a two point conversion. That was good. Um, like a three point shot from half court. If they nailed all these things, like, I think if they nailed all of them, it would honestly be in my favorite of the year contender, like in that bracket of like 15 games, somehow I have to whittle down to five when we talk about at the end of the year. And I think as is, because of those nits, it's more likely to fall in my other five. Like, hey, check this out because yeah. it does so many things well. And I think it's a new developer, but be aware of these things. But I think more people should kind of pay attention to it. I just wish, as a type of gamer that I am, 
that it had 48 holes instead mm-hmm. of 18 that are kind of getting randomized. Because the first hole is always kind of going to be the first hole, like a lot of yeah. rogue-type games are, right? Like the, your first that up to the first boss in Hades, a game I've never heard of. It's always fairly similar in how you get there, but randomized a little bit, right? And this is similar. You're never going to go to your first hole and it's like surprise boss battle. And you're like, Oh no, you know, it's not that. Right. Um, but I wish that they just, uh, explored creativity in developing new, interesting courses. As I progressed my way through golf purgatory, I'd find that more satisfying than this. Where like, I'll, the boss battles are tough uh, in my opinion. Uh, and I, I'll have this satisfying run and then something will happen as you mentioned, where it's like, ugh, but four, and then it's like two hours, you know, not consecutive the way I'm playing because sleep mode. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but like two hours of playtime is washed away because of a dumb mistake or I didn't buy. Yeah. I, I should have bought the this card power up instead of that card. And it's, right. I, I don't have those learnings to carry me forward. Yeah. And so I mean, literally, uh, literally the game would have a massive improvement if you could just visit the store off the push of a button. If you were just like, mm. oh my gosh, I have $700 and I'm in this crazy <laughs> situation. If I could just pop to the store, buy the card that I need right now, that alone would be like, oh, at least there is a an avenue of dealing with the problem that I put myself in. But sometimes you just you just put yourself in a problem. You, I'm like, oh, I'm going to try for this other path through the level because it looks really cool to try to that path. And I just get myself into a situation where, well... There goes that entire run and I got nothing out of it. It's yeah. Very frustrating. How long are like the, the, how long are the runs in this game? I mean, it's I mean, 18 holes. <laughs> it, it, yeah. It, start to finish. I think if you do a full run, it'll probably be three hours. What? That would be my guess. Three so to four you can hours. go, you can, okay, so it's a three hour loop that you can just fail out of and have to start. Well, it's, See, it's, that's it's, like, that's brutal. I mean, when you think I, about, I mean, again, you think about the other, I haven't, yeah, I haven't but, done I mean, it yet, but speculating. That's compare what it feels compare like. that to any other game in that kind of like start over genre. Yeah. Most of them have a loop of like, 20 to 30 minutes you know and, what i mean it'd be like carry it with you loop that this doesn't have yeah. in the same way we're like i've had again never heard of it but very long runs in hades that end on not finishing that game but then you come back to like the knuckle crack moment of like well game on you know and, yeah. and i've yet to have that experience like yeah you come out thing with or this new power resources up or whatever. that you that you can apply to the next run yeah yeah um, anyway, and I, again, I, 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 I compared it a lot to Cult of the Lamb as I was playing because Cult of the Lamb is as far from that as possible. Cult of the Lamb feels like every single thing I'm doing gets me something for the future. Like, mm. I mean, just like whacking a plant gets me something that's useful. I mean, everything is like a slot machine. <laughs> yeah. While what you're doing, there's just like stuff pouring into you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So I, I like it. I, I to me, I feel like Cursed of Golf might be like Dead Cells for me, where Dead Cells, when it first came out, I loved, but it was too hard or I was too bad. And so I could never beat it. And then they made, I think they've made several like easier patches. But when the first easy patch came out, I beat it. And I was like, one of my favorite games of all time. <laughs> and I think if Cursed to Golf gets that support and like whether it lets you go to the store at any time or, you know, something happens that makes it a little easier, I will be like, everybody, you slept on this game in 2022. You need to go play it now. But it, I mean, it is right there for me of like right there to breaking through to be. I don't disagree with that. 
I, I think, like I said, I've been playing a lot of this game. I just got to the <laughs> point where I was so frustrated. I'm like, I don't feel like I'm getting closer to overcoming this issue. I don't feel like this is, so I'm going to have a breakthrough and it's going it, to, because it could just be the most mercurial of things that happens. Like I happen to just miss hit my A button and it bounces off the, or my ball <laughs> lands so close to the ledge, you know, it, it because it's literally a platforming game. So there's platforms. So sometimes your ball just, you, you know, whatever happens, you don't do the backspin or whatever, and your ball lands right to the edge. So you can't go the direction you need to go because <laughs> it just hits the wall. So you have to shoot backwards in order to go forwards, which uses double the amount of shots. And if I don't have enough shots, there's nothing I can do. There's also, nothing I can do. Anyway, I've, I've while, said this. While we're here, and then I'll say the last thing. The ball still bounces when you use no bounce, right? Like, that's not just me seeing it. Like, it's a little bounce. It's, still, it's a bounce. <laughs> That's a bounce. I'm calling yeah. that a bounce. Uh, but you are right that the music is phenomenal in Curse to Golf. Yes. Phenomenal. Yes. Uh, anyway, okay. My playlist obviously played a lot of that, played a lot of Cult of the Lamb. I, I've been playing lots of games lately. And another game I know that Christian uh, has talked about a little bit in preview, but it just came off of actual uh, actual um, embargo. And that is uh, Roller Drome. I'm so which, curious. I want to hear this. So Roller Drome is what if Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, but also guns, <laughs> which uh, doesn't seem like it should work, but this is one of my favorite games of the year. This game is incredible. It's so fun. It's so fun. Dripping with style. It has that cool sort of Sable-esque um, cel-shaded look to it. You're in the, the story of the game, such as it is, is that you are in a, uh, a uh, running man style future uh, TV show where you have to uh, go into the roller drum wearing your roller blades and you have skates, to uh, skates. Sorry, that's my hang up. They are skates. They are not blades. Uh, well, so better, even better. Um, <laughs> uh, and and you have you know you're you're being attacked by all manner of crazy uh, increasingly intense bad guys that are shooting at you and and throwing things at you all kinds of stuff and uh, and you have to eliminate them while also doing tricks. The genius of Roller Drum, the absolute genius of this game, is that your reloads are tied to doing tricks. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they came to that design decision, but it is genius. And because it's, also, it's like it, in it, the world too. It's like not as if you do a trick and you pull a clip from your belt. It's like you do a right. trick and the operators in the control room give your gun more ammo. And it's like, yeah, okay, cool. But also so cool. <laughs> well, what makes it cool is that it forces you to do tricks. Yeah. And so you are doing this incredible, like two sides of your brain working together at the same time dance of, I want to kill all those bad guys. And I'm, I'm playing a shooter where I'm playing this arena shooter where I'm trying to kill all the bad guys and trying to line up my shots and switch my weapons and select the right things and, and, you know, go into bullet time and, and do the, all the stuff that you do in a cool arena shooter. But also the other side of your brain is, I really got to stick that 720, you know, like it's, and if they didn't force you to do that, if it was just like, oh, you can do tricks and you'll get more points if you do tricks, but you really have to kill all these bad guys. 
I gotta be honest, I probably wouldn't be doing that many tricks because it's so intense with like mm-hmm. 30 bad guys shooting missiles at you and you Mech's know the ground's on fire and, and yeah. yeah, a mech is coming around the corner and there's like so much going on that it's it's an intense shooter in and of itself. And I, my, I'm fully committed to just solving the shooter and being effective at the shooter. But the game goes, yeah, but you only have six shots of your shotgun or two grenade launchers or, you know, a few shots of your pistols. And when you're out, you're out, dude. You have no recourse. There's no way for you to defeat the bad guys. So what are you going to do? You got to reload. How are you going to reload? Stick that 720, bro. You know? And, and so it becomes this incredibly awesome dance of I'm grinding on a rail to reload my gun, flipping off of it, going into bullet time, nailing the bad guy, wall riding onto the next thing to reload again. And, you know, the first couple of times I played this game, it's a little overwhelming. It's like, oh my God, I'm just constantly out of ammo. I'm constantly out of ammo. But playing it more and more and more, very quickly, I got into this Zen state of like, seamlessly going from being awesome Tony Hawk pro skater, nailing the cool trick and also being the cool arena shooter guy. And it is sublime. That synergy, when you're in that flow state of linking tricks together, maintaining your combo multiplier like you would in a Tony Hawk pro skater and also taking out the missiles that are coming right after you and the, the bad guy that just materialized in the environment and the, the dude who's about to pull up his shield. It's like, it's awesome. Awesome. And I've never really played anything quite like it. It's another, like we were talking about with cult of the lamb Skylar of this, this cool meshing together of very disparate styles. This somehow is better than the sum of its parts also. And so I do have a nitpick though, Christian. Well, before, One of my before we get to well, before we get to the nitpick, I want to yeah, point out ahead. a few other positives. Yes, please. Uh, again, absolute banger soundtrack that is perfect for the game and, yeah. and, and encourages that flow state and sells the era or vibe of the game really, really well. And I talked about this a lot when I had the preview, um, and then I think Khalif talked about it again. But that was I talked about it before I left for my trip, and then. If you're not a patron, it's bonus audio and you should listen to it because I say a lot of things that I love about this game. But I will say it here for everyone. Rollerdrome, in my opinion, is one of the finest examples of bullet time shooting of any game I've ever played. It is right up there with Max Payne 3, which I think is probably the pinnacle of that genre of bullet time shooting. And what Rollerdrome does with it when you are literally doing a backflip 1080 mute grab over somebody in bullet time and you take out two rocket launchers and then land behind somebody and headshot them is one of the over the spine, you know, transition of a half pipe is one of the best left trigger, right trigger. We know whatever you want to call it. Shooty shoots of any video game I've ever played. Exquisite. I, I agree. It, it It is super sublime. It just, it just is a game that feels good. Everything feels right. Feels good. And I think another genius decision, design decision that they made that's sort of in, in contrast to stuff like, you know, that I was, I was criticizing with Curse to Golf, where these little design decisions can, can kind of ruin something that was going so well. Here, this tiny design decision can really make it take flight and be even better. The fact that you can never fall, right? You can, you can not land a trick, but you never 
wipe out. The only fall is out of the arena. You can fall which out is of my knit. A little annoying. Is, it's yeah. frustrating how much how easy it is to go out of the arena. But basically what happens is you immediately teleport back into the arena and you lose some health. But that right. can be a damaging because you, you're you're getting pummeled <laughs> in this game, or at least I am. Um yeah, tiny knit about the out of the just the fact that you can go out of the arena, or there's even arenas that have like gaps that you can fall into or whatever. Um but I love the fact that even if you try to do a backflip at the last possible second and it's going right. to be impossible to land that backflip, it's like, ah, you're, you're still skating. You know, it's, it doesn't penalize you for that stuff because you have bigger fish to fry in this game. It's, it's, there's more going on. It doesn't care about wipeouts. Like, that's beneath this game. And I think that's, that's really cool. My, nit, my, my actual nit about this game, and you may disagree vehemently about it, is... Um, that the the measure of whether you can progress in the game isn't that you def- you completed the levels or successfully defeated the bad guys it's how many challenges have you done and the challenges are cool the challenges are cool they're like unique interesting little achievements that you have to do you know uh do a specific trick over a specific area on this specific level or kill three dudes by this specific way or you know the kind of challenges you get in a lot of games or even Tony Hawk Pro Skater kind of challenges, collect things in, you know, go up the thing mm-hmm. and collect the little symbol that's hanging in the air like you do in Tony Hawk. Which are, I love that being optional bonus ways to get a higher score or whatever, but tying that to the progression to new levels bums me out. Because it, it basically forces you to go back and replay things. And it's fun. I'm having fun replaying those levels. Those levels are awesome. But I don't like that being the measure of your progress to the next level. Yeah, co-signed. Uh, this is a, a Roll7 game, and I'm a huge fan of theirs. They are Ali Ali World and Not a Hero, which are both some of my very favorite in that genre. And I think this is them tackling and absolutely knocking out of the park a new, different genre of video game. Um And in that preview, I talked about that was my my biggest nit that I could, you know, talk about even then was the idea that level progression was tied to doing these would otherwise maybe be achievements or as you mentioned bonuses and the reason it bums me out as much as it did is that i feel like ollie ollie world perfected it where levels were easy i mean it's it's a challenging game you have to get in that flow state but ollie ollie world i think perfected that made it easy enough to just progress the level and the stories and then all those challenges were there to go back and do and see the right. side takes and other versions of the level. And, oh, that platform moves and I can get that. And that's so cool. And Roller Drome feels like it forgot those lessons that are in Ollie Ollie World. And there's nothing more frustrating than getting through a level by the skin of your teeth and taking out, like riding on this giant mech or, you know, whatever it ends up being as this game pushes further and further through the rounds. And then realizing you don't have enough points to go on to the next level. It's not yeah. a good feeling to have to go back, even if some of those challenges are very cool to do. The fact that it kneecaps progression is frustrating. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you agree. I thought you were going to really disagree with me on that, but. Well, clearly you didn't listen to the preview. I no, I try not to listen to you at any <laughs> chance I can get. I avoided every, every opportunity. Uh, well, I know it's uh it's it's getting late, Skylar. We we need to have you back on just to talk about board games. 
because uh, I, I love the fact that you're an avid board gamer. I've been on a tear of purchasing lately. I'm like, I'm just like merging from COVID. Like I need to buy more board games. And I just bought uh, three uh, Kickstarters oh, uh, this week. What's that? I said, oh my, three, yeah. three in one week. Going know, it's strong. not good. It's not healthy. It's not smart. Uh, and they're very, they were very expensive ones. I got the, <laughs> I got Return of the Dark Tower, which okay. I think we talked about yeah. last week on the show. I got um, the very, very obscenely expensive uh, Road to Rome. Uh, the oh, second geez, printing of that, Road to Rome. That printing is crazy with all those cool, I mean, yeah. It's yeah. bonkers. It's, it's, it's absurd. I mean, truly, <laughs> like, unnecessary. But I, like, I want to have this. It's like $200. It's ridiculous. Um, and I also bought um, uh, the, the pirate game. What's it called? It was just had a second printing on there as well. Uh, don't tell your wife how much you paid for it. I think yes, is what it's called. Is that okay? That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, I but, love Jeff. New guy, new city, new state is like okay, babe. I have a plan to meet all the neighbors. What is that? Well, I need this five hundred dollar board game. Don't ask me why, but this will be the thing. <laughs> yeah, no, it's pathetic that I'm like I, I don't even I don't even have anybody to play with. Oh, a dead reckoning. Dead Reckoning is the name of the pirate game. That's what happens when your wife finds out how much the board game was. I yeah, think is uh... I ended up at the bottom of the of the seat. Anyway, <laughs> um, well, we will wrap up the show now. But Skylar, you'll have to you ha- we'll have to twist your arm and get you to come back again just so we can geek out on designer board games. Because, I would uh, love to. Wonderful. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have parting gifts coming up, so stick around for those. But Skylar Sura. Thank you so much for being here. It was awesome chatting with you. Thanks so much for having me. Look forward to coming back and talking about board games. Yeah, right on. Uh, Tell folks in the meantime where they can keep up with you and uh, all the things that you do online. Yeah, sadly, I don't have a huge online presence, but you can find me on uh, Instagram uh, at Skylar Sura. You can find me. And uh, if you want to hear more about animation and uh, the cool stuff that we're doing at Riot, you can go follow the rats Twitter. Uh, and I, and I see, I, I suck at social media. I'm not, I don't even know what our Twitter is. Search for rat at rat animators, I believe is what it is. Yeah. We have our own discord server and stuff too. We do cool streams about game animation specifically. Uh, and it's just a fun, fun time. Uh, so come check us out there if you want to know more about game animation. And then lastly, I also have a bunch of animation game educational content that you can go find on YouTube by searching my name and Agora Studios. Uh, so if you're interested in learning about game animation, it's all free. You can learn wow. about animating games and putting it into Unreal. It's pretty cool stuff. Wow. So that's it. That's me. That's really, really cool. Christian, uh, a couple of days ago, my son goes, Daddy, can you, can you hire someone to teach me how to code? <laughs> I was like, what? Amazing. Well, I got I got to figure that out because the the back half of that sentence was because you don't know how to mod Mario. Daddy. That's right. I need to. He wants to mod Mario. That's his whole life's goal to... is to do Mario mods. Do it myself now. I mean, he tells me. Oh my god, he tells me all the mods he wants to do for for Bowser's Fury and for Mario Odyssey. It's it, it, yeah, and they're all, and they're all just. Okay, Dad, here's the mod I want to do in Bowser's Fury. Bowser, but naked. Okay, Dad, here's the mod I want to do for <laughs> Mario Odyssey. It's Mario, but he's naked. 
around, he basically already got that. I mean, he's already yeah. running around in his underwear for half the it's game. True. It's true. Yeah, it's true. All right. Yeah. Already naked. No, he, yeah. has, he has all these ideas of like adding different enemies and different power-ups and all this. Dad, I want to do a power-up where you're a, you're a penguin, but you shoot fireballs. Fire penguin. I'm like, that's <laughs> all right, dude. That's awesome. You should check out uh, there on the Switch. There's an amazing little game. I believe it's called uh, Game Garage. Uh, oh, yeah. Game Garage Workshop or Game Garage mm. Studio. It is super cool. And if your kid is interested in coding, it is like, mwah, it like has all these great tutorials that teach you how to make a little platformer game. And then they show you how to like expand on it. And there's all these different genres. My son has game just Builder like Garage. Up. Game Builder Garage. Yeah. yeah. It's really really good uh and my son is like obsessed with it so purchasing it's 26 dollars <laughs> on amazon right now 26 dollars. i'm buying it right now to be dad of the year it, it's, it's, that's an easy that's an easy, it's build an easy a garage. incredible build a garage. it uses the same kind of visuals and uh format as the nintendo labo stuff i think it might even have right. been like the same group that made it it's all these like node based just like blocks that you click together but uh very intuitive, very cool, very like cute cartoony characters to teach you all how to use it and stuff. And I will say as a game developer, it's like real. I mean, it's basically like node-based programming, which is what wow. you uh, do in Unreal now these days. So, Killer. Well, I'm glad I brought this up. I'm buying it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> His birthday is in two weeks, so this is going to be a birthday present. Uh, Christian, what about you? What do you got going on this week? Well, from now on, Jeff is going to go to our guest. Uh, and where can people find you on the internet? And what tip can you give me to make me a better dad? Yeah, how can uh, I be a better dad, please? <laughs> I do a newsletter. You can subscribe for free at tinyletter.com slash Christian Spicer. It's usually one or two a month where I do longer form conversational style writing about video games. Um, uh, I, w- I, I can confirm I have The Last of Us Part 1. And that review embargo is up, uh, is public as well. I don't know the top of my head because I'm not looking at my uh, embargo list. But um, seeing not about that, but it made me think about it was seeing that HBO clip. I think this next newsletter and this and what we talked about with um, Days Gone. I think this next thing that I'm working on, I don't know if it'll make it out of drafts into final and, and send, but is video game adaptations and what we want them to be. Cause I think that's the fascinating part of the question to me, isn't what they are or if they're any good or what the best one is, but I think it's what fans want them to be and whether or not that's an unfair burden. Cause I think the gaming space is different than even the comic book adaptation to film. And it, it's, it's fascinating to me. So that's what I'm tinkering with, whether it sees the light of day or it might be like one of Skylar's animations, uh, that no one ever gets to see. I don't know, but I'm working on it. Jeff, I'm working on it. All right. Well, I hope I get a chance to see that. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. You can always email us here, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. Also, I have other shows. You can listen to me talk about movies and TV shows on The Film Cast, which you can find anywhere you get podcasts. And I do a, uh, a comedy science show called We Have Concerns. You can find that at wehaveconcerns.com, which is back up. Our website was down for some unknown reason. And now it's back. So wehaveconcerns.com, you can find it there. Also, uh, I talk about sports on uh, the fan-controlled football show or fan-controlled sports. Now, sports and entertainment, because they're doing hoops next. Uh, you can find that on uh, anywhere you get podcasts as well, fan-controlled show. And uh, or you can go twitch.tv slash FC 
F. All right, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Nope. Of course, why would it? That's would the it work? cult of the lamb. Why? Right there. That's what that work? is. Why would it be night of all nights? Why would it work? Here we go. Did that sound right to you? Yep, I thought okay. perfect. Didn't sound right to me. <laughs> Skylar, <laughs> do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Listen, I just bought a house and I've been doing a lot of home renovations and it made me think of a show that I'm now revisiting. It's a British, uh, I guess, reality show called Grand Designs, which is maybe the best home building show ever. It's just a bunch of people making terrible follies <laughs> in building houses and horrible places under crazy circumstances. But the houses tend to be amazing and very architecturally interesting. And as a person who has just now realized that every bit of a house is so stinking expensive to fix and build, <laughs> I was so judgmental of these people constantly being over budget by one, you know, 300,000 pounds and so on. And now I see why. But it's incredibly entertaining and actually very educational uh, if you don't know how houses are built. So it's an oldie but goodie. So sorry, it's not like brand new content or something, but. I that's always great. like to kind of call back to something. So that's yeah, my no, that's great. Grand designs. There's like 400 seasons. Oh, there's well. so many seasons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. Did you, there's, there's one of my, I haven't watched a lot of the show, but there's one episode where this dude built the entire house by hand mm -hmm. over 15 years or something like that. That one is mind blowing. It's incredible. Yeah. And they come back and they must have recorded. I mean, they come back five, 10, 15 yeah. years later. So they recorded it over many seasons. It's it's yeah. a crazy episode. Yeah. Such an interesting show. That's Grand Designs. I think it's on Netflix, I want to say. Yes. Um, I believe you so. Yeah. It. You can find it. Uh, Christian, what is your parting gift? There's a new hot chip album people might know i think it was their sophomore album the warning was kind of broke them big um i love hot chip the new album freak out slash release not the word slash but like a backslash or whatever freak out release new hot chip album it's it's great it's it's got like dancey vibes to it again it's upbeat some other stuff had been a little slower hot chip had always felt like an experimental band everybody has sound uh, side projects but it also felt like its own side project and I believe this album, Freak Out Release, is the first album that all of the members wrote the whole thing together, whereas usually it's kind of piecemeal between them. Um, and if you haven't listened to Hot Chip at all, I recommend it's either Warning or The Warning, probably just Warning. I think it's their sophomore album. Incredible. And if you're looking for more Hot Chip, their new album, Freak Out Release, is also very, very, very good. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, my parting gift is a movie that is in theaters right now that I don't hear people talking about, but they should be. Oh, man, this movie blew me away. It's called Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. And I'm not usually one that goes in for the, the horror genre. It's not my favorite genre in the world. I like a good horror movie when they're good and smart. This one, extremely smart, extremely good, so clever. It, it, is, it is the quintessential millennial movie, in my opinion. I believe what Scream was to my generation, the sort of 80s, 90s kids, bodies, bodies, bodies is to kids today. 
I found it to be incredibly fun, so smart, so well executed. I don't know why more people aren't talking about this movie. I hope I hope it's a huge hit. It doesn't sound like people are going to see it, but bodies, bodies, bodies. If you're into smart, fun, clever horror movies, in the in the way that that Scream is a smart, fun, clever movie, uh, that that's what you will find with bodies, bodies, bodies. Highly recommend. Pete Davidson. Look, I just yeah. googled it. Look at, yep. at Lee Pace. I love I love Lee Pace. Lee Pace I'll- is awesome. It's, it's yeah. It's, it, all the performances are great. It's I. It, it's outstanding. I to- it totally took me by surprise. I was not expecting it to be awesome. Never heard of it. Signed yeah, exactly. theaters, you said? Like, What's that? It's, it's, the, it's theaters. Oh, it's an A24 film too? Yeah. Come on. I know. Okay. Yeah, it, I'm it in. Should be this ma- I want it to be this cultural thing like Scream was, but it won't be, but it should be. Um, all right. We also got a listener-suggested parting gift. This comes to us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. It was sent by Nathan McFarland. Nathan writes... Um, I wanted to write in with a board game parting gift that has become a go-to for my wife and I. It's Dune Imperium by Direwolf. This game is one that has a little bit of everything in it. It's a worker placement game combined with a deck building game that also has combat and strategy. But despite all those mix of mechanics and actual, despite all those mix of mechanics, the actual playing of the game is intuitive and easy to teach. The main reason for this is that most of the board and cards don't use words, but rather easily understood symbols to convey what they do. This makes parsing a hand of cards or scanning the board much faster and removes a huge barrier a lot of people have when learning a new game. No more stopping to read a novel every time you draw a card. This allowed my wife, Kendra, who is dyslexic but loves puzzle and strategy games, to get into the game much faster. Even with the straightforward design of the cards and board, the potential strategy is very deep. The aesthetic of Dune also is very well implemented in the game and makes great use of the movie license and art. On top of all this, it has a two-player mode that is very robust. In fact, it is so good that my wife and I played it together every night for almost a week. It really is a fantastic board game, and I would recommend it very highly. Thanks from a longtime fan, Nathan. Thanks, Nathan. Very cool. So again, that's Dune Imperium. Uh, I have not played this one, but uh, I've heard very good things about it. Uh, it sounds like Nathan uh, recommends it highly. All right. Another, yeah, you, you, have you played it? Oh, no, I was just going to say another Dire Wolf adaptation. They're like crushing the yeah. board game adaptations. Yeah. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Skylar Sura and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for those uh, fun bumpers. Thanks to our main theme composers, White Cube, which is Jason Sherry, and T. Ryan Arnold. We also have to thank our highest level patrons, our hype train patrons. They get a shout out at the end of every episode, and I will do that right now. That's right. It's time to thank Christian Bravery, Jason Novak, Taylor Wigert, Octavian Ratio. Chad, Nick Strauss Klein, Josh Peak, Peter Olberg, Michael Stadler, Michael Buck, Jackson, Travis, Mike Lombardo, Soren Silk, The Spice Man Silencer, Dick, Albert of the Stuff and Junk Show Podcast, 
Jonathan, Spice Man Forever Schlepper, Zachary White, Stugas, Nate, Scott Hughes, Jenny, Kevin Brazzle, Ben, Dan Polmino, Jimmy Radcliffe, Malcolm King, Mark Gowlin, Jonathan Putney, Mitchell Ness, Jeff Luxack, Matt Bradley, Will with 1L Harris, Chris Zacharias, Victor Valenzuela, Jonathan Talbert, Cheesy Bob, Adam Denby, Scooby Diesel, Hank Patton, Rob Rickman, Sasan, Dan Flanagan, Riley Knox, Kyle Starr, Anthony Goulas, Michael S., Andy Joyce, Matt Valdez, Relentless Rex, Curtis from Louisville, John Sisko, Comedian Aaron Trahan, David F., Making DLC possible. We appreciate it. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.